Hello, friends, and welcome to this fifth episode of Wandering Swords, a berserk multimedia podcast where we take a look at the classic long-running manga Berserk, as well as its many adaptations and iterations. My name is Nick, and I am joined, as always, by Dave. How are you, my friend? I'm doing pretty well, and I'm looking forward to being finished with uh, Dordre. <laughs> it's <laughs> It's been a, a little time in coming. We covered some stuff on this, and uh, we're now, uh, I guess we're kind of doing it backwards, but we're getting into the nitty-gritty as we do uh, of the what the manga has um, set forth, and they've tried to adapt um, into the, the two movie and animated series. Yeah, that's really going to be the main purpose of this episode is diving into that nitty gritty, you know, because I would say that the film and and really the show particularly hews pretty closely to the manga. There there aren't any like big revelations to cover that only exist in the manga aside from, well, maybe one or two things, but um, mostly it just has to do with like character and world details. So that's really going to be the majority of what we focus on in, in this particular episode. We're not going to go through the whole, the whole rigmarole of summarizing like the entire thing, because, um, <laughs> We've as done people that. <laughs> who listen to our, as people who listen to our, uh, nearly three and a half hour epic episode last week are probably aware we, we covered that pretty sufficiently. Um, so, yeah, so just for context, the spawn of the manga that we're going to, or the span of the manga that we're going to cover today is basically, it runs from, uh, like the last little bit of volume six here. That would be the chapter departure for the front all the way through just the first part of volume nine. And, uh, we will stop at the chapter Demise of a Dream. And, uh, so yeah, it's, there's not really much to talk about here, uh, in volume six that we haven't really talked about already. Really just the first part of it covers, uh, Minister Foss sort of insinuating to Griffith that the poison arrow was meant for him and that, you know, came within the king's inner circle. There's the whole bit with the lodestone. Uh, that was in the show. Not yeah, I I pulled that part as a note just to address that the translations uh, of the subtitles in the um, animated series, uh, they're just saying it's the stone of the king and queen, where this is specifically uh-huh. saying it's a, it's, it's a magnet and they are the two opposing poles, so they will attract to one another. It was a little ambiguous sure, in, yes. the, um, in, the, in the animated series. Mm-hmm. And uh, that lodestone will make another appearance a little bit later on yes. towards <laughs> the the end of this. Um. So yeah, I mean, from there, really, it just kind of heads into the battle for Doldre, which I don't like. Like you said, it's the show really follows it pretty closely. Um. I don't, there really isn't that much to talk about. Like, it's pretty much, it's pretty much beat for beat. Um, you know, with the fight with, with Adon and his whole Kaboral with 
uh, his, family his crew, spear techniques family. and whatnot. Mm. Um, was there anything particularly about the Battle of Doldre that you felt was worth noting and how it's depicted here? Well, with the with the Battle of 100 Men, where it's um, Guts fighting the 100 dudes, uh, there are, or I guess with Adon's introduction, the the manga, oh, you're right. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Sorry, yeah, it's okay. That, that the part, the notes on that are very short. Uh, Adon is mm-hmm. the, he gets the um, shadow with gleaming eyes treatment, uh, and it's he's much more, I guess, frightening in his introduction uh, than he becomes. He he is the the butt of a joke um, throughout his the, his further. Um, uh, encounters i think once his helmet's off he's just a goofball and um that that'll play into a little yeah. bit the later during the during the battle with uh, his final fight with casca uh, what we do have is also um griffith is uh, in in the flashback sequence where casca is uh ostensibly she's saved by him he, he gives her a weapon to to fight back against against her aggressor and uh, Griffith is specifically in this part questioning the divine right of nobility. Like, just because you're you know, upper class, does that make you chosen by God? And that's a kind of a through line that is addressed, but I don't, I don't think it was called out specifically um, in the animated adaptation. Yeah, that's that's a good call. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Um, the uh, the Casca flashback. It's pretty much the same. Um, one thing that is here that it actually happens in the series, but I don't believe we actually addressed it, was this this scene here of Griffith sitting by the body of this child soldier mm, yeah. from the Band of the Hawk. Um, this is actually kind of important just because it shows really for the first time Griffith reflecting on the human cost of his crusade or his his dream, as it were. Uh, and in fact, he specifically says, "Maybe my dream is what killed this boy." And he is uh, he's sitting there by the corpse of this child, and they're sort of backed by this pretty gorgeous sunset. And that that scene is actually connected more strongly here to the the scene later where he's he's bathing and sort of clawing himself because um you know he he says that he doesn't feel responsible for the lives lost you know he has this line where he says my dream can only be realized it can only be realized by building upon their corpses <laughs> but as he's saying that he's literally like ripping into his own flesh which yeah, like and, and he and he seems to imply to me that he, yeah, he, it seems to imply that he he does still sort of like maybe it might be sublimated, but he still has like you know he's still a human being. He still feels some degree of guilt or sadness when he sees you know a child dead you know due to his cause. Yeah, and and I think the part where he's bathing in the lake or the, the stream, and he's calling out specifically like. I'm making a sac like my own flesh, a sacrifice of it here, you know, with what he did to get that money. Um, and isn't that better than losing people on the battlefield to get the money? 
So he, I mean, he acknowledges that, that yeah. human cost. He just, this is examples of him growing like as a person in probably the wrong ways, but that's just how he do. That's his arc. Uh, also what he does when, when he's um, talking over that, um, that uh, the, the child that had fallen, uh, he's also questioning whether or not um, uh, if the child's happy, like did he, he's following Griffith's dream and he died for that cause. Was that a satisfying end for the child? Uh, and also if he's dead in the middle of this, um, trying to accomplish something, uh, is the dream over or does it lead to despair? These are like direct things that Griffith himself will have to address, uh, on his own, um, right as we get to the end of this, actually. Yes. Yep. Um, so yeah, that was, a uh, was an important character moment. I did want to talk about it a little bit because we, um, we, we kind of glossed over it, uh, in the last episode. Mm -hmm. Um, that would take us to this next little couple of chapters here called prepare for death. Um, and this is, you know, this is basically dealing with, uh, you know, guts, guts, his fight against Adon and all his men. And, um, yeah. <laughs> Ad Adon uh, amusingly threatens Guts with what he calls the uh, the hundred year convulsive death passed down by the Cabralwitz family for two hundred years. It's just, I mean, it's, he, it's, it's just in a sense. There's no, yeah, there's no like yeah. meaning to it because his other stuff doesn't generally work too well. <laughs> aside, aside from the tricky bits, those, those seem to be effective. Yes. Um, yes, exactly. Mm, there's one point. Uh, in in it's not really in contention, but during the battle, uh, it was a, it, I, I think it was we questioned. I think um, guts is fighting one hundred dudes. There could have just swarmed him, um, and would have probably won uh, with a few dozen sacrifices versus just all of them dying because they kept trying to do one on one battles. The the manga addresses this at least like to a, a small point. These guys are like horribly afraid of him. And there's a, there's a specific panel where there's five guys and there's like, what if we all five just rush him? I think we can make it. And they're all gonna be killed like immediately, <laughs> but like they do talk about yeah. like what their tactic is here. And because these are mercenaries, they're not, they're just dudes hired to do this thing. And the money obviously is not worth it, but um, they're they're trying their best. These guys they believe in each other, and it just doesn't work out because guts can cleave through like steel or whatever their cardboard armor is made of. Because he cuts through like when he's fighting Samson, not only does he crush the giant <laughs> like mace or a uh, morning star head, he he cuts through his shield and cuts through his helmet in like one go. With a dull sword. Like, that's just... Yeah. <laughs> the, it, mm -hmm. it gets a little ridiculous, but it never feels wrong. Like, I don't... It's hard to... Fr like, his sword... Just do the thing. And it doesn't seem like, mm -hmm. oh, it shouldn't be able to do that. It, that's just what it does. So, it's... And, and we've just seen him cut through stone. So, yeah. I think it's already... Even, even if it's technically after all of this, he's established as just that strong. Yeah, uh, look, I, I'm no military expert. You know, far be it from me to uh, give advice on these matters. But I, I just, 
I think the Tudors, they should probably find a new blacksmith. That's all I'm saying. Because they've got stormtrooper you know, armor and it's just not working. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really not. And uh, you know, these soldiers, it, it you know, they might believe in each other, but they're not really too invested in uh, in the Tudor cause or uh, in Adon's quest to uh, get revenge on this woman who uh, he feels humiliated him in some way. Um, but yeah, yeah it's it's, it's a pretty whole, ridiculous. Uh, um, yeah, the, Adon is uh, he he is in a lot of ways he really is the comic relief character. He's very silly. Uh, he's like especially once he loses his helmet and he just sort of is like this one-eyed crew cut, you know, sort of. He's missing all these teeth. He's like a jack-o'-lantern. It's just very uh, it's all very silly. Yeah, it's very um, like Popeye. If, if he feels <laughs> like that kind of, like a, he's like a yeah. character of a villain. Um, I mean, it's, in, it's enjoyable and in, 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 it kind of is necessary. I don't know. They do like a weird, a lot of pratfall, like panels where people's faces just do a thing that are not what, not serious at all. And yeah, uh-huh. when it, it, the juxtaposition between that and like how horrendous everything is, it's kind of like, it's a little bit of a palate cleanser just when you kind of need it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. There's, there's a few um there's a few panels here I noticed where characters get surprised in some way and their their face go is like I don't really know how to describe it other than to say it goes like full like anime mode like yeah it's, there's it's even almost a, a like part, super deformed kind a of little face. bit later yeah or it's like I don't know it's like very exaggerated it's mm-hmm. almost like a caricature like even Griffith gets that treatment a little bit later on. Like there's a there's a panel where Guts sort of slaps him on the back and Griffith's face gets all wild, which was like I don't know, it's just like very jarring and funny to me. Yeah, it's a little weird. And then uh, um, when he spends the time uh, uh, helping Casca with her fever, uh, he looks like way younger there. I guess te- technically yeah. he looks age appropriate, and then he just suddenly becomes mm-hmm. old, older Griffith again, uh, older Guts again immediately. Do you um, do you think that that's intentional to sort of make him look a little bit softer when he's in this character? Uh, yes. Mode? Yeah, I think that that's that's giving him uh, an edge of like innocence where he otherwise would not have it. Right. Yeah, that was and, my and Cas- about Casca's well. treated the same way too. She's she's like de-aged throughout most of this arc because she's been powered down stupidly but <laughs> i think we talked about that enough last time yeah mm-hmm. but yeah Casca. Uh, speaking of her she gets uh my favorite move which is the armpit slash I was very pleased to see that this originated in the manga uh the fight with samson who uh I really like his armor. Like, just taking a look at it this time around. I actually don't recall if it looks exactly the same uh, in the in the series, but I like his helmet. Kind of looks like an anglerfish to me. Yeah, yeah you know what I mean. Because it has like mm-hmm. it has like that long stalk. In fact, a lot of the a lot of the armor sort of has a um, an the sort of modeled after real world animals in these very pronounced ways that I really enjoy. Yeah, it's it's the uh, same the with Adon, um, and all that. Mm-hmm. And then Adon 
for his second appearance, um, completely like changes into a different set of armor. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's it's yeah, it's good. It's it's even more ridiculous, but that's just how he do. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, I don't think there was anything else that was in this section that was different. No, not really. We prob- um, I think we probably got all the the hundred battle stuff out of the way. Yeah, there's uh, the uh, other than Koska... I was I was very happy that Samson had a shield. I was like, oh, thank God, someone yes. has a freaking shield. <laughs> it it yeah, doesn't well, sound I mean, very listen, effective, but um, he had one. If you're uh, if you're second in command of the Blue Whale Ultra Heavy Armored Fierce Assault Annihilation Night Corps. You gotta have a shield, because you're just, you're super important. His shield even had, like, um, those flambears, like, flamey uh, daggers sticking out of it, too. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that was just his hand, I don't know. It didn't show, but he, he's he's armored up, he has three times the armor and three times the weight yeah. of anyone else in the world. I guess be, being the little brother, he got some preferential treatment. Yeah. It's fair to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, you're right. We should m- move past this. Um, only thing I want to point out in this is that Casca, um, she like grabs what looks like a root out of the ground, or it could be a stick, and she like sticks it into the eye of her attempted rapist. And there's like a very disgusting close up panel of like the wood entering this guy's eyeball, and uh, it was gross. Yeah, and I, she had a little bit I more agency in the fight this time. I feel like she she yeah. was able to like battle more people uh, than was kind of even shown in the TV series. Mm-hmm. Which which was nice because yep. she's not like incapable, and that just that was just yeah. like chapping me <laughs> something fierce that uh, she was just relegated to like background noise. Um, in, in, like, the movie. Yeah, it's not that much better here, to be honest, but... No, no, I, it's uh, not. Well, I welcome any sort of improvement. Um, but, yeah, uh, so, moving on, there's a short chapter here that's just called Survival. And, uh, the only thing I wanted to note here is that it's made explicit... That the medicine that Judo gives Casca to soothe Guts's wounds from fighting off these 100 guys is actually elf dust, which I don't think was it, really explained before, it, was it? I think he just mentioned, I heard that when I bought this, it was elf dust. But what I think is more, more not, not, it's not impressive, what's more important is it's, it's clearly showing Puck. Is the one because he says he yes. got this when he was mm-hmm. in the traveling troop, and Puck let us know he was stuck in the traveling troop. So he, this is yeah. this is mm-hmm. some Puck, Puck dust part one, um, helping out guts without uh, either of them knowing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we actually do just fully see Puck there. So I enjoyed that just because uh, it's been a while since I've seen my guy Puck. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do, uh, I do, I do want to get back to him. So. It was, oh, yeah. uh, well, he'll it was be there. Nice there. <laughs> He's just waiting. He's waiting, in, waiting in the wings. Uh huh. And then we get the great 
campfire of dreams sequence or bonfire of dreams seems to be uh, translated in different ways. But uh, is there anything in particular that you wanted to point out here? The gist of it is basically the same. You know, yeah, I didn't. I didn't pull anything extra other than they. They the paneling for it looks really nice, and I enjoyed how they the um the the bonfires or the campfires um, below the hill they're on are kind of like fireflies. That's how they're kind of drawn. So it's it's a more sort of majestic. Um, couched in fantasy than we've seen like much other things this has generally been pretty like grim and gritty military battle stuff so it was it was a nice uh, visual change of pace yes yeah i agree the paneling here is really excellent in fact there is a panel that i really liked where uh guts gives his line about how you know all the uh all the fires are you know, being lit by the blazing inferno named Griffith or something along those lines. And then there's Griffith depicted where his hair is sort of like becomes one with the fire. And it like his, it's like his hair grows out into flames and is just like swirling and filling the entire panel. And I, I really liked that. It was really, really, really neat. Yeah, it, it, it was uh, good. And I think the other, there was another panel as a chapter intermission from a, from one of the previous chapters that I I don't think I liked because it was Casca taking off her armor and she's just not she's just nude underneath I'm like I you you're you've done this you don't have to hammer it home like <laughs> this hard come on uh, <laughs> it was a yeah, little much but, I mean um, the nudity well yeah the the nudity is a whole other thing I mean it's we didn't really talk about it but um. You know, Casca in the flashback is actually, you know, Kentaro, he makes the choice to, to draw her nude as uh, as she's being assaulted. And it's like a little uncomfortable because she's supposed to be like 12. Yeah, it's, uh, he, it, this comes uh, up like, well, far too often. Um, then it should just not be a thing. But like, I, I get what he's doing, but maybe step back mm-hmm. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not gonna. That's just not. That's not yeah. what's gonna happen. He just it goes the other way. Yeah, I didn't really care for that choice. It's um, it's pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I understand. You know, uh, the 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 sexual violence in Berserk. It it, it definitely it's a it's a little it, heavy. It has a purpose. It's it is it is you know because pretty much nearly every major character so far in this story is like a victim of sexual abuse. I think um, every, every major character has been, abuse. I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And, um, I think it's a double-edged sword because, um, on the one hand it is, it is a little bit excessive and it is a little bit gross. Um, you know, in, in ways that, um, I just think it, it doesn't always, it, it steps over the line sometimes in my opinion, but at the same time, like the, the whole, should I put this? Like the, the, the sexual trauma and like the whole psychosexual element of the story is part of what makes it compelling. And it's part of what 
makes the the characters um so rich in my opinion like it's it sounds weird to say but i just think like it's impossible to separate like all the 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 sexual uh the sexual content from the story do you know what i'm saying like it's not just thrown in there for yeah it's it's not for cheap shock uh, value like it's this the story the story explicitly deals with it in a serious way i, I hope well, you know it's it's, ca- I, you know, it's couched I, I in I'm that because it, clear yeah there. go ahead no I, you are and the it's things that these characters literally find ways to cope with so they they do yeah. move past in their own way um these traumas that have that have um you know kind of shaped who they are but at the same time it's not who they are they're not defined solely by that because particularly within the manga it takes the time to give them more depth of personality and more depth of like just character in general they um these things inform their decisions but it's not just who they are at least event yeah. it will kind of be that way it, it takes time because this is this is a long game i mean this is all still it's literally like the prologue to everything yeah but and it's yeah nice. i mean it, it's it's maybe used a little too much like this is kind of becoming a storytelling crutch even at the state stage yeah because it's it's not just one character it's like all of them so yeah, at that point it becomes maybe a little bit wearisome you're like okay so this person okay them too all right i guess we're just doing that okay you know that's mm-hmm. kind of what it feels like but it um i guess kind of like how griffith has already mentioned it before but this sort of feels like a pebble on the road because it's it's important but it's still sort of just incidental mm-hmm which is weird because yeah, it's not like I, making you know, light of any of the time, trauma. It's taking it seriously, but yeah, sure, sure, sure. you're still just going like it's it's a little too much of it sometimes. Yeah, I think by the time I got to all the Charlotte stuff towards the end of this, I was finally like, mm-hmm. okay, this is getting to be this is getting to be a little bit much here, but at the same time, I agree with you. It's not it's not trivial, it's not frivolous. It is like part it, it it's dealt with in a serious way um so yeah it's none know, of it's, none of it's dismissed it's, it's, i mean everyone's treating it like it's a problem whereas yes. if they weren't then it would be a problem like to read yeah so that's yeah and so that that's yeah, yeah I, I totally agree with that it's, you know suffice to say it's like it's a really it's really complicated <laughs> yeah. is the short way of putting it um so yeah moving on we get into the uh the Battle of Doldre proper here. Um, really enjoy the, uh, the this angry mustachioed uh, white tiger knight general, um, specifically because he has this tiger striped cape, which I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was there uh, from the show, very briefly. It just look it looks very badass here, and he's the only one who has it that I can see. Uh, yeah. So it just it distinguishes him in a really nice way. And I think that's why when I was watching the um the series, I believe, uh I was like, I'm pretty sure it's the tiger the tiger brigade, or like the white tigers. That <laughs> I think they just shows his cape one time. You know, it's his Does he brief Yeah, because I think he's in like two scenes. Mm. I notice a lot of the um 
the regalia, like a lot of the uh, the armor and such that these guys wear. I for some reason it just like probably because like in a in a panel you just get a lot. It's like um, you get a much more lingering look at it. Whereas mm, well, the there's show more detail kind of in this. Fast, so I think yeah. Yeah, so well, I, and they I, have I to, noticed like, a lot of the visual details more this mm-hmm. time around. It, I mean, because I think it's that way on on it's not that way on purpose. It, he's doing it on purpose, but in the movie in particular, um, and in the show, it's a cost saving thing. They can't draw everyone in different stuff like with a billion dudes on the screen. Whereas this, they have the yeah. they have the luxury of going. There's ten different guys in the panel. They're going to have ten different armors. You know, so it's um there, there's more yes. personality given to these like nameless um mercenaries and general soldiers and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I really found was um uh when when we get just past all of this um the 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 tent uh debating scene and get to Boscon, he he's like way he's impressive in the show, but he's just like. Super impressive in this. Yes. Just his features, mm-hmm. everything is like 10 times stronger. Um, but I think to, to cut back to the, the camp scene, just cause that, that caught my attention. But, um, in the camp bit, there's two nobles who are like, uh, specifically calling out Griffith just in, in the fact that they see, um, something of a, a hero in him and the capabilities that he's exhibited are like maybe just what the country needs in this particular moment. And it's, um, it's nice to see that there's that support when all we generally see is like venom within like the court intrigue stuff, but uh, that he's acknowledged that way is, um, it's good, but it's also kind of bad because of how things, you know, fall out in the end for, for, for this segment. Sure. Yeah. And in fact, um, there are a couple of characters that we meet by name, uh, one of which is Sir Laban, this L-A-B-A-N, who actually does support the idea of the Band of the Hawk leading this siege on Doldre. And his, his point is basically like, is basically like, what is there to lose? <laughs> you know, it's like, he seems to be saying like, if the Band of the Hawk succeeds, then that's great for us, and... If they don't succeed, then that's also kind of good for us. So like, <laughs> we didn't lose any men. Just kind of let, you know, <laughs> let him go. So, mm-hmm. yeah, precisely. Yeah, and he's uh, he's actually talking with this guy uh, who we just know as Sir Owen, and uh, these guys actually show up a little bit later in the uh, in the ball at the ball scene, and Sir Owen actually uh, he uh, is yet another person who is. Uh, feeling the allure that Griffin has, that Griffith has, and he sort of uh, expresses an attraction towards him. And he says, who knows whether I should say this, but uh, he says, what do he say? He says, who knows whether I should say this as a man, but he's quite the image of one. <laughs> you know, just this constant, uh, yeah, th- this reinforcing of Griffith as this like sexually alluring figure, you know, even amongst people who are ostensibly supposed to be his, his rivals on some level. Yeah, they they can at least acknowledge him for that if they don't bother giving him credit for the the battle stuff. But when it's <laughs> when it's both, that's that, that's even better. Yeah, they're like, I kind of and, hope and, he and dies, again, but, he's, man, he's yeah, he's hot. He's <laughs> look at that guy. He must work yeah. out. Yeah, um, and he's <laughs> he's drawn more toward the androgynous side. I mean, in this 
as opposed to how he was in the uh, the animated series. Yeah, like mm-hmm. th- this this yeah, Griffith is... is one of the things that Hughes closer to, or that or that is Hughes closer to in the um, the movie adaptation. Yes, it's very smooth. Mm-hmm. He is slightly more. Yeah, he's slightly more feminine here. I think. Um, so let's see. Yeah. So basically, yeah, you mentioned General Boscone. I also was very taken with how he's depicted here. He, it seems like Kentaro really saved his like deepest of deep blacks for this guy. Like his armor, this whole, this whole rhino gear that he Motif, has here is yeah. like very, it's like very, yeah, it's, it's like, there's like the very severe contrast, you know, with like the light lights and like the, the, the very, very dark blacks. And he's, he's depicted uh much more intimidatingly here than he was in either the film or the series. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I really enjoy the whole, the whole rhino theme here. Um, we see Guts slice off his rhino horn at one point, and then later just the entire top part of his helmet. Um, I also really enjoy the, uh, the armor that Adon has, which I think we briefly touched on before. <laughs> yes, because the, it's like, the, like the great white shark armor. <laughs> yeah, this is so badass because not only is his head sort of has has that like the sharp teeth and then the snout, you know, that sort of resembles a shark, but also his torso has it as well. Like he has torso teeth and he also has knee teeth. Like both of his knees have teeth and a yeah. snout. And, and I think his sho- shoulders also have have the heads. It's just there's <laughs> just shark. Yeah. He just loves them. This is great. I love it. Just make everyone an animal. It's it's <laughs> fantastic. It's just the Corboids um, family, like <laughs> nobody else, and and of course Boscon, who who may have started the trend, I think, because he's technically um, Adon's boss. Yes, yes, indeed. Um. So, oh, I I did like the admonishment panel there. where he demotes, um, or he just he's centers not centers sentences it on to like guard the castle because i think in the uh-huh. in the anime series he bonks him in this he has his halberd and like the force of the he, he stops it right in front of his face but the force of this sheer like air pressure is pushing all of his features back <laughs> so it looks like he's in a window yes. it's really good yeah it is very good yeah i adon i gotta say adon is uh He's not like a great character or anything, but he he's definitely like some of the most memorable stuff that happens here in the Battle of Doldre comes uh comes at his expense. Like there's a moment a little bit later where Adon is doing his whole groveling technique, which of course was passed down from the Kaborowitz family for hundreds of years, uh where he's like groveling before Casca and one of his blue whale knights in uh a bit of translation that I found very funny. He goes, uh, sir, that is incredibly uncool. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed that very much. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> sir, really good. That's and, incredibly uncool. And I think there was a, the, let's see if I can pull it up briefly. The panel where he's um, introducing, or, you know, he's not really introducing himself. He just appears at the top of the stairs, but, um, 
I, I don't know where it's at. I've, I've lost it. But uh, he he's – I think he says like sh- sh- shock, <laughs> something like that. And he's just like screaming that he's there to scare Casca. <laughs> It's it's super bizarre, but it's it's pure um, Adon. Like it's it's good, it's good stuff. And he's in his giant shark outfit, so it's even funnier. <clears throat> yes, indeed. And uh, you know, with regards to Casca, there is this repeated. Um, there's this repeated sentiment that she expresses that she is somehow growing farther and farther apart from Griffith. It's like, as he becomes more and more renowned, he sort of, he seems more and more distant from her. And, um, yeah, or that, that he's less approachable. Dialogue. Yeah. He's like, he's sort of attaining a mythic status that makes him less human in some way. And she just, she feels like she's being left in his wake in a certain sense. Like she doesn't feel as, close to him as she used to and there's this bit of dialogue here you know after the after the fighting is all over and Doldre has been been taken and everything like that she says when the battle is over and Griffith is surrounded by everyone cheering in victory I always think this that he's somehow out of reach that he exists somewhere far away and it hurts and that's something that we're gonna see a little bit later and it's all part of this gradual shift that seems to be happening with Costco where it's not that she doesn't, it's not that she isn't still invested in Griffith and you know, his, his dream and the band of the Hawk and all that, but it, it's, it's all part of this trend where she seems to be moving farther away from Griffith and closer and closer to guts. And, we're going to see that happen, especially with a little bit of dialogue that we'll get to later uh, during the big snow showdown. Uh, yeah, it's, it's actually even, I think, I think previous to that, there, there's some stuff that goes on. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's the kind of character stuff that uh, yeah, that's, I think the manga is, very important. is really useful for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one other f- panel, actually, that um, was slightly earlier. It's before the whole battle um, shakes out, and we are. It's the the governor general um, meeting with Boscon, and he's he's just chilling in his like weird steam bath place. But uh, like, there's a stat- yeah. there's a statue. There's a large. It's a. They take the time to make a big frame of it. There's a statue of a um, a satyr and a a young lad. Um, where the the satyr's enticing him with his piping flute, and of course the satyr is huge and bearded, and you one could read this as the governor general like having that done in his image because that's kind of what it looks like is an idealized version of him frolicking with hmm. with the youths as he do. Um, but they're – it's framed in a way that that's, like, calling to attention the things he does without, like, further – this is where um, Mira does a good job in conveying intent without actually having to say it because a lot of times he just says it. You're like, okay, I yeah, you could have just showed me something. But this is a good example of showing and not having to, like, overstate things, like, in dialogue. 
Mm-hmm. And, and it's something that I think was missing yeah, yeah. in the animated adaptation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm glad you pointed that out because there are actually a lot of those details, those kinds of details that I noticed this time around. Um, maybe not loaded you know, so heavily in a symbolic sense, but just a lot of the uh, sort, of, a lot of the sort of statuary that's hanging around Midland is really really cool. Um, for example, there's uh, a couple of statues that are like sitting right behind the king when he's giving his grand speech about how um, you know there's been like an armistice with Tudor and all that sort of stuff. It's like there's these two statues that are very clearly modeled after Atlas. You know, it's like the image of a man like holding the entire world on his back, uh, which I thought was like pretty appropriate for somebody like the King. Um, There's also like just little things. Like I noticed when all of the, um, all the nobles are meeting in like their, uh, like their hooded lair or whatever, or like they're, they're, they're all dressed in these black hoods. There's these gargoyles with these heart shaped mouths that are really neat, that are sort of hanging on in the background. There's also, like, uh, like on the outskirts of the castle, there's some sort of statue where it's, like, it's some sort of winged, winged creature that almost looks like a dragon, and he's accosting what is, looks to be a goat or something like that. And Kentaro just puts all this stuff in the frame, and it's always just really, like, these striking and unusual details that I appreciate. Yeah, I, th- I think those are the same kind of things that popped up in the in the little churches, and it's just stuff that's world building without having to do like extra legwork. And it's a, it's just a, it's yeah, a they're, exactly. they're they're really good touches. <clears throat> yeah, just nice little details. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see, where do we leave off here? Uh, right. So next chapter it's called Triumphant Return, which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, you know, the Band of the Hawk returns to Wyndham to rapturous applause and everybody's swooning over everybody. You know, all these people are legends now, seemingly. And uh, here's... In this chapter, we get (laughs) maybe the most significant story change Mm -hmm. from either of the the film or the series adaptations. And that's where we learn a, a very spicy detail which is that the queen was having an affair with uh our man julius general goldilocks <laughs> quite a surprise and it's it's not just um well to her i think it is, it is technically it's just an affair it's something to, to to sate her desires but she is um She's a replacement queen. She's married into the family. Yeah. Um, the, the previous queen had died. And uh, she's only been here for a few years. She doesn't know anyone. She's not from this country. She's not from Midland. And her one spot of, like, familiarity, I guess, is in is to be found in, in the arms of, of Julius. Um, because I think while she has um, had her relationship with the king, it's not on... I think that level, and we kind of find out that the king is um, still enamored with his with his dead wife. His feelings lay lie um, elsewhere, specifically. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so that, that yeah, again, another yeah. pretty significant reveal that she was not the first queen to this king, that there was another queen before her. And um here's a question that wasn't entirely clear to me. Uh is Charlotte her daughter or is she the other no, queen's daughter? No, Charlotte's the daughter of the previous queen, which is that, – that's informing the, deci- or okay. the decision. But how this queen relates to Charlotte and how she's like standoffish with her and just really firm, it's because she's okay. like the stepmother queen. Sure. OK. That makes so a lot of it's sense. It's playing with a few more fairy tale tropes. Uh, the I, I just pulled up the intro to that bit where they're, they're in the um, – I think it's like a mausoleum because it feels like it's the burial place of the previous queen. I think that's what this like tomb right. thing is. Um, yeah. But in, in the opening part where there's the gargoyles on the roof, I'm 99% sure that that roof is what they use in Dark Souls 3. Where the angel oh. thing, angel guys are. Oh. Now, that I'm, now that I'm looking at okay. it. All right. But anyway, well, yeah, that's I mean, that's that's neither are, here nor there. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, the, we're obligated to point of, out any uh, Dark Souls yes, references, of course. So. And um, I think, in general, another just really good standout panel is this introduction of the Queen to to this little uh, um, cabal of of uh, assassins. Uh, her yes her queenly garb is just it's really cool and it just still cracks me up that they're wearing like these hooded vestments and hiding their nature she's just the queen with like a drape <laughs> on her head she's just wearing like a curtain <laughs> yeah she's it's, in the full it's, queen it's really good. i don't really understand the purpose of wearing these hoods it's like if they're gonna meet in some weird like basement or something like that like why are they trying to hide their faces like who are they hiding from i don't really understand it but it just, I, it I think it's more, more them sinister, so. getting there un, unnoticed. But you're not going to like mistake the queen for somebody <laughs> else. She's she's like ten feet tall and has a big hat. <laughs> yeah, she does. Love the hat. The hat is really really fantastic. Um, but yeah, so yeah, the queen. She was cheating on the king, and she married the king basically for political reasons. It was kind of a loveless marriage. We gather. She had this tryst with Julius. It's implied out of just sheer lust and like something to do. But now that yeah, he's it's not dead, love. she realizes that she may have indeed been in love with him. So that's just adding more fuel to this uh, <laughs> fuel to the fire uh, for her wanting to get back at, at Griffith. Right. Yeah, she's like she's literally saying, "I will, I will have my revenge as a woman." <laughs> yeah. yeah, not not uh-huh. the queen. She's not the queen in this particular instance, even though she's like decked out in queen regalia. But uh, her her yes. her vengeance will be will be sure. And um, I think just panel wise, like uh, Foss gets he gets played up really well. Um, I just really enjoy his. I like his character. He's like kind of he, – he's not mm-hmm. goofy in the way that Adon is, but he's kind of goofy in his own way. He's little – the Humpty Dumpty minister, but he, he gets to yeah. be kind of cool. And then, you you know, we, we ultimately see, of course, what how his his fate rolls out, at least yeah. in regards to this this. I do really enjoy affair. him. He's, he's just sort of a, a great character in the, in the grand tradition of like 
sniveling, cowardly backstabbers. You know, he's a. Uh, He's, he's really well drawn. I love how sweaty he is all the time. He's just, <laughs> he's got flop sweat constantly. <laughs> like, pretty much, like, for, for the entire, like, like, pretty much every, every single scene that he's in, uh, from, like, this point forward, he's, like, just drenched in sweat. It's really good. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, understandably so. He, he's, he's, he's walking <laughs> a thin line here. Indeed. So yeah, that's it for uh, this chapter. What? Oh, oh, well, one one last thing that really made me laugh, like really laughed out loud, actually, was um, when the band of the hawk comes back to wind him. Uh, Corcus, he does this thing where he like uh, he cups his his hand to his ear. Oh yeah, <laughs> like he's do he's do he he's doing the Hulk Hogan, you know, like. Putting, putting his hand to his ear for the crowd and the translation underneath it literally reads Hulk Hogan. Yeah. It, it just says Hulk Hogan. And <laughs> I was just like bursting out laughing. I was like, that is just fantastic that Hulk Hogan made his way into Berserk. Yeah, it, it's good. And, you know, he's a he's a card anyway. It's Corcus guy. Like, I don't like mm-hmm. him, but he's a good foil, I think, for to have in the in the band because they can't all just be like lovable sure yeah uh characters uh-huh and they can't all just be like oh man guts is so cool and badass you know you kind of yeah, he, he, he's the other side of the coin going i hate i hate you guts i hate your guts yeah guts yeah everything was cool before you showed up um but it's okay he's getting he's getting the ladies so... he's gotten some attention <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes he is he's uh it's really reveling. So, um, next chapter is called Moment of Glory, and this chapter pretty much encompasses the entire ball, and, uh, the aforementioned Sir Laban sort of senses the resentment that the nobles have towards Griffith, and he has some dialogue that I really like, that I believe was actually in the series as well, where he says, Regarding Griffith, he says, he's too conspicuous to proceed peacefully and uneventfully inside the castle. The more radiant the light, the darker the shadows fall. Just sort of, you know, getting at this idea that, well, you know, Griffith, he might be bathed in glory, but not everyone's going to be happy about it. And chances chances are somebody's going to try to get his ass, which is exactly what happens. Yeah. Uh, I just really enjoyed that. Um, Oh, and also... We get a hint from Guts during this party scene that uh, that Griffith has some sort of plan. We don't know what it is yet, but every, you know he has this little bit of uh, this little bit of internal dialogue where he's like, you know, n- nobody here knows what what Griffith's really up to. And you're just like, hmm, what could he mean by that? Uh, but we find out very shortly. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to think of anything else that might be worth noting um oh yeah so uh the queen burns to death everyone else pretty much except for minister foss they all die griffith has that dialogue that i really enjoyed last time those who die on the battlefield are not royalty nobility or commoners they are the defeated who die and uh i also really enjoy 
this sequence of panels here. Uh, and by that, I mean the sequence of panels where Griffith is speaking to Minister Foss and he's going to Solspiel about. Like, I knew the second I looked into your eyes that you would try to betray me, that whole thing. And I, I just, yeah. I really enjoy the way that, that Kentaro conveys Minister Foss's just complete and utter terror at Griffith because there's like this panel where you know he says your eyes betrayed your fear and there's this panel where Griffith is depicted and the only feature that's actually drawn are his eyes and yeah like they're like up, up in the shadow like, yeah yeah and then the next panel below that is like a close-up on Minister Foss's eyes and <laughs> like you just his, like see the, bug the sweat out. is just like <laughs> the, the, the sweat it's it's literally just his eyes but like between his eyes and like above it and to the side is just like just these sweat drops all around yeah and then we get uh griffith with the uh with the uh the blacked out shiny evil eyes treatment that we've we've talked a lot about um so it, i, I just, think it, it works every time like <laughs> it's, it's never not good yeah uh it's always great and i just really liked the way that Kenshiro chose to uh chose to convey just how afraid Minister Foss is mm. of Griffith, as he should be. Um, At the, uh, the, and he uh, also... And, the, one other panel sorry, before you moved on uh, is is the chapter panel for Tombstone of Flame. Like, the, the heading panel for this is Griffith in the courtyard. It's the large, um, the burning building with the shadow of uh, the betrayers and the, the queen. And then up at the top of the panel is just like the queen's eyes and her hair. And she's just screaming Griffith. <laughs> like she's just so mad and then dies. Oh yeah. But it's uh, yeah, that's it's actually, just a really good panel. That's really fantastic. That's yeah. That's one of my favorites for sure. Really outstanding. Griffith just looks so insanely epic. <laughs> just standing in front of this burning building. Um, so yeah, let's see. Uh, oh yeah. And then, one thing that uh, Minister Foss also points out, which we've talked a little bit with regards to Griffith before, is this sort of duality where he's able to appear really childlike while being incredibly sinister all the time. And he says, like, he points out, he says, how, when he's done so much, can he smile innocently in that way? You know, I just, I, I like whenever they point that out because it's just a really interesting facet of Griffith's character, mm. the way that he's and like... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and it's something that he's even he's even called attention to because he specifically is talking to Guts. I think it's actually after all this is when he's um he's like he's like, do you feel bad doing all the things I've like asked you to do? Like you've basically just been murdering a lot of people on my behalf on my say so, and I I've done all these horrible things, but really it wasn't my hand that's done them. I've just said go do a thing and it happens. So that's I think part of it because he's only indirectly causing all these terrible things yes which is i think why i don't think that's why he's able to smile the way he does that's just part of him but that's not it, it's making it i guess easier to disassociate himself because he does do that quite often the other part um i think that i was unnerving to casca earlier was when he was in the river and he had, you know, been shredding his own skin and just stopped and was like, everything's fine. You know, he just, he, he can turn yep. off whatever the, well, 
it's it's not a turn off it's just like shoving down <laughs> anything that's bothering him and just kind of like put on a you know a different face a mask um mm-hmm. and that's that's in turns i guess troubling and frightening because if you're on the receiving end of that it must be horrible and if you can see him doing that and you're a friend that must also be horrible because it's not a, a healthy way to like exist yeah he's able to project essentially whatever he wants to which is like some real it's like some real psycho <laughs> manipulator shit you know yeah like like it's like some serial killer stuff um, so one thing that I appreciate is that we get a little bit of context here for the time frame, uh, because when this next chapter starts one snowy night, it makes it clear that, um, guts when he attempts to leave, this is actually happening one month later from everything that happened before. Whereas like in the series and in the movie, I, I really thought it was happening, like, the next day. Yeah, it's, like, the next morning. Um, and we're just yeah. like, I guess, I guess yeah. it snowed overnight. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, but here it makes it clear. It's, like, this is one month after everything that we've just seen. Um, and another bit of clarity that we receive is that Casca actually spots Guts leaving through the window. And she chases after him. And while she's doing that, other members of the Band of the Hawk are sort of asking where she's going. And I like that because I remember in the last episode, we were sort of, like, wondering, like, how did she... <laughs> they, just, they just showed up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And all this happens, I think, isn't... I think the order of events here is a little bit different, isn't it? Because... She, she, she chases like after she, him. Uh, Judo right. and Corcus are just chasing after her because they were trying to figure out where she was going in the middle of the night. They stop and um, go to a pub with Guts while Casca leaves yeah. to go get Griffith. So that's how Griffith was there in the first place later. Correct. I I could be wrong, but I thought that in the, uh, in the show and in the movie, all this stuff at the tavern – that happens before she catches him trying to leave. Yeah, it was, it do was that, that was, that's, I... no, I think that's what happened. And then it went into the nighttime. This reversed it where they right. stopped him and pulled him aside to talk to him. Mm hmm. So they, although really it's, it's just Cork is um, yelling at him mostly. Yeah. So they kind of just like combined. They sort of like splice these two events here where it's like mm-hmm. Guts leaving in the snow and then just immediately after that, the uh, the confrontation with Griffith happens, right? I think that's kind of the way it goes down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyways. Um, not a lot to uh, report about as far as the, the tavern scene goes, um, other than that we learned that Judo can do like a pretty sick twirling knife trick and, and he still That's thinks he's like I'm, I'm not it's like i'm not like the best at anything but i'm pretty good at doing this <laughs> and and if i'm not going to yes. be the best mm-hmm. I, I will make sure that i'm on the coattails of whoever is the best precisely and uh yeah so then we get the fateful confrontation 
between Guts and Griffith. Well, it's really um, great. Slightly... Love this scene. Pretty much, I, th- I think... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, slightly before that, we have the... It's a long conversation with uh, Judo and Guts on... It's not just on what Guts is doing, but on Casca and why she seems different. And then it's Judo basically trying to like, he's not bribing Guts, but he's trying to go, why don't you just get together with Casca? You guys, I think, yeah, fit he's playing together well. A little bit. Yeah. He is. And then Guts is trying to explain that, you know, um, why well, she seems to, you know, have an eye, her eye on Griffith. And they kind of discuss that particular relationship. And then, Guts is going, well, I'm just not in a good headspace, you know, for this right now. I, I don't want to be like second fiddle, um, to Griffith. I want to be equal with him. Mm-hmm. And until that point happens, I can't like even try to make an attempt to, to get together with Casca. Yeah. And Judo talks a little bit about Casca's relationship with Griffith and the way that he characterizes it is more like it's less that she loves him and more that she worships him. Yeah, like that's the word that he uses is worship. Because because um, it, it it you know even when she's portrayed to us when we're watching her how and how she interacts it is like a hero worship. Yes, you know, there's a there's a yes, veneration so. going on. The other thing that mm-hmm. um, Judo is calling out in particular uh, because he's probably the smartest aside from Griffith, I think, in the in the band of the Hawk. Uh, he's pointing out that it's no accident. Um, he thinks that. Uh, Princess Charlotte is is falling for Griffith, and Griffith is in a position, or will be in a position soon, to where that is a like an attainable, potentially attainable relationship. He's only moving up in ranks um, in the court. He's going to be, you know, in in the lead command of like the the best army of Midland. Uh, you know, who who better at that point to to have a relationship with um, the princess than than him? And it's something that is not an accident, and Griffith must be trying to orchestrate it. He has some other irons in the fire, and while Judo can't, like, prove anything outright, he's kind of suspicious of, of what Griffith is doing. And and those are things that Griffith had specifically, and Guts is thinking this, um, is why he, Griffith did not want Guts to go, oh, hey, we're doing some assassinations, we're doing, like, under-the-table things here, um... And not letting anyone know that he was, you know, he had a, a counter poison, poison, you know, trick up his sleeve. <laughs> Just to kind of keep them yeah. as, as innocent of the court intrigue stuff as he could. You know, he, he is taking the brunt of mm-hmm. the risks, you know, in doing these like mach- machinations and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of seems like everybody just knows what Griffith is up to with all the Charlotte stuff, though. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's not, knows, it's not like a super, knows. it's like, it's not a pretty secret, much everyone's like, yeah, you know. we all see what's happening here. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty obvious. But, um, yeah, so that's, that, that's good. Um, it's a pretty good explanation of, of all the, of all the dynamics at play here, uh, between Casca and, and Guts and, and Griffith. Yeah, and it's it's nice for them to. And, I mean, um, we see it as it's happening, but this is a, a nice way to concisely go. Here's the cards on the table. Here's what's at stake. Yes, and let's yeah, right see how long this change. Yeah, I was gonna say like let's, let's see how this how how long this um house of cards stands up. <laughs> yeah, and more you know more to that point between the very complex dynamic between these characters, 
we get some some internal monologue from from Casca when she's watching Guts and Griffith about to face off, where she she sort of realizes that for the first time she's sort of I guess defying Griffith a little bit in her mind. Like there's part of her that wants guts to stay and maybe we can even infer like maybe she kind of wants guts to win this thing at least that's how i was like interpreting it she she wants the best resolution with the least fallout yeah it's like it's like for the first time I, i guess the better way to put it would be like for the first time since she joined the band of the hawk she's not her interests aren't 100% aligned with Griffith in this case. And she's... Yeah, yeah. She sort of makes it a point to to to, to reckon with that and be like, you know, I'm sort of... I'm kind of kind of feeling a certain type of way about Guts right now. And, uh, you know, I, Griffith is trying to kill him, so... <laughs> Not great. Not great for Costco. No, no. Um, so, yeah, this plays out exactly how we how we recognize it. Guts refrains from killing Griffith. It's really beautifully drawn. There's a uh, wonderful two page panel of them about to square off in the snow and the trees. The- really, really well represented. Yeah, right, right before that, right when they're when they're about to have their showdown. There's a panel um, with Judo, and this is where he's introspecting on on Casca, and it's like a v- there's a very very good. Um, it's a five like a five panel shot, but the the upper um, right hand panel, it's all in like in it's all in black and shades of gray, and it's Griffith in his like his. Um, Hawk armor and half his helmet is shorn, and then it has him holding Casca in his, the palm of his hands in like a breaking egg. Hmm. And it's it's Judo okay. saying, um, so this is this is literally the panel um above when they're about to battle. Okay. Is that um It'd be great if there was page numbers, but there's not. Oh I see. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. no, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where it's, I gotcha, yeah. And she's like, she's... She's, she's holding like, her sword yeah, in, like, in, like, literally a... in his hands. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And it's it's this, it's just him yeah. reflecting on that she's changed. Um, and I'll just read it because it's, it's important. Uh, the old Costco would have never cared even if it came down to comrades getting hurt. I bet she wouldn't have even faltered at losing her own life if it had been Griffith's will. To Casca, his word was gospel. No, maybe that's still the truth. But is she herself even aware that she's begun to change? And that's just hammering home all the the things that we've just discussed. But the the panel itself is like a standout like representation of that. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like a very metaphorical. It's like unusually metaphorical, I would say. It's like usually Kentaro is just like very direct, but this whole like symbology of like her yeah. being, he, he, like, play, he her, plays like, with it every now and then. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um so yeah, I don't do you have anything else to say about uh this little 
this little uh this pivotal confrontation here uh just the center like not center the um the beginning of it where griffith is um he's planned out his strategy and he's he has it exactly in his head what is going to happen and that he's he's going to have to kill guts because his his motivation is if i can't have him and he's the thing i want then i i can't bear that someone else he, no one else can have him and it's just him cleaving like guts his head in twain and of course that's yeah. that's not how this falls out <laughs> no 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 so guts finds himself alone really for the first time since he was a child you know he's always been part of some mercenary group or another um and he's sort of out here alone in the woods sort of reflecting on the fact that he's uh you know he's pretty lonely in the world now and mm. and this has, and this is the uh, beginning of volume 9 just of, for for all all yes intents and correct, yeah and this chapter this chapter uh in the index in the uh the omnibus edition that I have it's referred to as night of skeleton but then at the end of the chapter it says like end of skull night so take yeah it's um, I, I personally enjoy skull night the skull night sounds better or even skeleton night uh it's just it, in the yeah. japanese it's definitely it's saying the night of skeleton but that's a weird um it works yeah. in japanese and doesn't sound right mm-hmm. in english so yes. skull night is i think what they've generally gone with um in later translations or at least later chapters. Yeah, and also... Uh, and this this was yeah, not also, in the animated series. Sorry. I was just saying that this is this no, does not no, exist no, in the other not. versions. Which yeah, is weird because it's very important. <laughs> yeah, and... Actually, the the cover of this volume signifies that a little bit because it's a, a skull... And inside the skull where the brain is, it's the bayhelet inside a cracked egg. Just another another cracked egg image here. And that sort of signals the fact that like uh there's gonna be like the bayhelet is about to to come into play here. Like it's it's gonna get referenced. We're gonna end off uh this episode talking a little bit about what happens with the bayhelet, but I really liked this particular cover. And uh, speaking of the Skull Knight, uh, Griffith, or I'm sorry, Guts, hears a noise. And at first he actually thinks it's Zod, uh, which gives Kenshiro another great excuse to uh, to draw Zod. It's like a, du- um, it's a double Zod. We have a Zod shadow with the white eyes, like just completely overcasting yeah. Guts. And then we get the um uh-huh. just the the beast mode Zod. Yes. But then <laughs> what we actually get is a freaking badass skull warrior bestriding a horse with horns uh and glowing eyes. Love it. Great stuff. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really good. Uh, it's armor that doesn't. Um, it rings close to like what we've seen, but it looks a lot more like apostle uh, gear. 
than than like in mm. just regular people armor. And the fact that he has like yes, a voice indeed. a voice modulator or something going on because his his uh, spoken word text is ominous. <laughs> indeed, and uh, he references the eclipse here, which is something that hmm. we heard Zod reference during the Battle of Doldre when he throws guts a big sword to replace the one that he broke and uh in fact i'm just gonna read all the i was gonna say just read all of his dialogue because it's all stuff that's important yeah it's freaking awesome too just like it just sounds great he says one year hence shall be the time of the eclipse you and your friends those yet unseen of the fleshless flesh and that half of yours determined to rule shall all be gathered then in that place a torrent of madness, a tempest of death for which the human body could never atone shall sweep over you. But take heed, struggler. You were born from a corpse and began your life from death in the mud. You are closer to death than anyone. Thus, you excel in escaping. Good stuff. And, like, I like the fact that his dialogue is all represented in, like, this bold typeface. You know, with these spiky, uh, spiky dialogue bubbles and all this stuff, it's really good. Yeah. Um, and and even so yeah. his continued dialogue uh, is, is just is. as important. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. He goes on for a little bit. He says, "Struggle, contend, wriggle. That alone is the sword of one who confronts death. Never forget this." Uh, and then he goes on to say, "In the abyss of despair, only he who stands up." With broken sword in hand. Perhaps. Dot, 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 dot. Um, yes. So he talks. Yeah. So he, he mentions the eclipse. Uh, I don't know what that is. You know what that is. But I don't know what that is. Uh, and I'm guessing. Might have something to do with the Behilet. I don't know. But I'm looking forward to finding out regardless. I assume we'll probably find out. In the uh, in the next film. Yes, well, we will find out immediately uh, <laughs> with the next film that that digests this entire <laughs> next arc or mini arc of, yes. of this uh, golden age. Yep. So uh, let's see. Yeah. So so this this bit, as we mentioned, wasn't in the animated version, and it like without Correct. it being there, it makes a couple other things just like come out of the blue. This at least gives context to stuff that will happen. Uh, then we get the the much um, I don't know lamented. I don't know what we want to call this, but it's the it's the Griffith <laughs> rain scene where he comes in through the window. Yeah, this he went on a long time too. The <laughs> this went on a long time too. Yeah, yep. This goes on for quite a while. Um, yeah. So Griffith, he. He's definitely like he's not raping her, but he's definitely forcing no, this, himself this upon is, her. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, it's it's consensual, but it's it is, um, but it's barely. A, a That's rough. what I'll say. Yeah, uh, there is yeah. a good um, um, a couple panels of Casca holding um, Guts' broken sword, which we literally just heard talked about. Correct. Yes, and yeah, so that sort important. of has that. Um, yeah, this sort of it almost looks like a little guts shrine here with like his broken sword and, and piece his of armor, his armor, the one yeah. sleeve cut off. Yeah, like is this in her um, room? Yeah, I so... I don't know. 
that would be even funnier. I don't know where this is. I, yeah, I have no it's, idea it's in a room is. in the castle. It's probably just Guts' room, but it's it'd be funnier if it was hers. I don't think that's the case. I think it's just Guts' room. Because her, her probably, room is later and it's all lit up. Because she's by a window. Yeah. It'd be all, it'd also be weird for her to just have it in her room. I don't know. Or to like excuse why do <laughs> but, why do you have gut stuff? Yeah. But Yeah, indeed. Yeah. We get so, uh, yeah, we um, get the return of the, the load king. Yes. I do want to just point out very quickly though that um all these panels here of Griffith and Charlotte, they're pretty intense. Um, but I I will say honestly, like they're pretty artful. <laughs> a lot of it's, times, it's tastefully uh, done. I guess as much as you're gonna be able to in the in the context yeah. of the story. Yeah, and there's one that I actually really like where it's like a full page panel of Griffith and Charlotte, and it's it's done mostly in white with some like gray shading here and there, particularly on Charlotte's hair. And it's drawn uh, okay. in such a way where their bodies are upside down. And it's almost, it's like, it's unclear where one's body begins and another one ends. And there's sort of like, they sort of like blend in together and with the sheets in this, in this way. And there's like, a silhouette of Charlotte behind them in this really interesting way. It's hard to art- articulate exactly what it looks like specific, like through like just by talking about it, but yeah, it's, it's a good, it is it's a, a, very, it's a like, well done panel. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh-huh. very like, so um, just wanted to maybe like sylph, like it's very elfin. I don't know. Like that's how this comes off is it's kind of like, painting of a nymph or something that happens yeah. to be sweaty. Yeah, I see what you mean there. <laughs> yeah, Kentaro, you know, regardless of what you make of the content of the story, he just, as far as his pure artistry goes, he remains incredibly on point. Like, just yeah. so, so no, the, the, the framing of everything is, is usually very, very good. Yeah, just, um, yeah, and at, at this point, we're at, like, volume nine, it's, he's just becoming incredibly precise. Just very, very sharp images here. Um, so, yeah, um, well, oh yeah, so, afterwards, Griffith, he sort of... <laughs> In the show, he's uh, he's sitting by the fire, or it might have been in the film. I forget which one, but he's like sitting like cross-legged, crying by the fire. And here, he's just like he's depicted just sort of sitting on the edge of the bed, cross-legged, um, like hunched over, just in total blackness. And uh, we actually see that he is feeling at his shoulder, where it looks like Guts's sword has left a little bit of a mark on him which i don't think was in i don't think we we got it, that it was not so, and i i didn't read that as that until you said that but yeah that's where his sword like rested so that's that's yeah. very important mm-hmm. detail yes um let's see i'm sure you can the listeners can probably hear me 
rifling through this book right now. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just some it's some foley. So, yes, exactly. It's 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 giving it a it's giving it an authenticity. Let's talk. Let's you know. Let's let's frame it that way. <laughs> um, so, Charlotte wakes up. Griffith's gone. You know he's being arrested outside her window, and uh, she finds the lodestone. And uh, also, there's blood on the sheets which would indicate that uh, she was indeed a virgin. Um, and that Guts, or... God, I keep saying Guts when I mean to say Griffith. No, I've, I've done the same thing, and we'll we'll probably have that problem <laughs> for a little while. Damn it. Yeah, so um, Griffith, you know, he de-virginized Charlotte. That's the point of that. Kind of gross, but what are you going to do? Uh, Griffith is arrested. And the king barges into Charlotte's room and he sees the hickeys on her neck and the blood on the sheet and he knows what's happened. And he immediately gets to work torturing Griffith for what he perceives to be a grave misdeed. It's a huge uh, personal affront. (laughs) Yes, well, you know, he paints it as, you know, a, a commoner deflowering his mm. daughter when it should have been a man of noble blood but Griffith needles him a little bit and apparently 100% correctly implies that the king wanted his daughter for yeah, himself and, and that's, that's why that's that's what that we got Charlotte in the animated off already. version was him just giving yes. that implication and we were left to go like nah, probably uh, well this removes all doubt uh, it, it takes a... Uh, yeah. It's not even uh, like a yeah, panel. It's it was... a whole section of King... Holy shit. Being the creeper. Like, it's yeah. bad. It's bad, Very, folks. very rough, very rough incest happening here. And the king is sort of depicted as, like... He's, like, sweaty and he's, Yeah, and he's, like, like, in a mania. It is, like, it is really gross. Yeah, he's depicted sort of animalistically, and there's, there's just an <laughs> absolute the maybe the most disgusting panel in <laughs> in Berserk so far is him like this close up of him like licking his daughter's nipple, very upsetting. It's very very rough. I was I was actually uh, more upset slightly later when it's right before she kicks him in the face because those panels were bad. It's all bad. This is. Oh yeah, yeah. This yeah. part's no good. It's all. Um, this is so. This is just gross. And like, it's meant to yeah. be. You know, like it's. No, yeah, no. It's gross. it's drawn in a um, horrendous. Uh, I'm trying to. So what? What his face reminds me of is. Um, uh, it is. It is the. Oh, I cannot think of the name of the. I want to say it's the Titans. One of them. Uh, eats like his children, and there's a painting. Uh-huh. I want to say it's like Hieronymus. Oh, Bosch. the um, oh, it's the Goya. It's the Goya painting, right? The Saturn yes, yes, his own son. Is that yes, it? that's what it is, and that's what yeah, that's yeah, yeah. what he reminds me of. That's how he's drawn, because he's not drawn oh, the same way that Charlotte's I didn't, I didn't drawn. Think about that. Yeah, yeah, she's sort of drawn very. You know, she's 
drawn very innocently and all this sort of stuff. And he is just, uh, he looks like he's melting. I don't know how to describe <laughs> it. Like he's just, he's just like he's just sweaty, sweaty and, and gross, glaring, and 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 they they used a lot of skin yeah. tone on him. He's way darker because it's like yes. it's, it's it's not like his not skin is darker. It's just like the shadow of perversity like has ascended upon him yeah yeah he looks like a monster descending upon her like a literal like a zombie or something like that yeah and so what this draws parallels to is something we already uh talked about in in the the black swordsman prologue chapters with the i want to say it's the duke and his daughter who he kept cloistered um in in his in in the castle or in the mansion or whatever it is. Uh, that, um, the sentiments there, while well, although still misplaced, didn't uh, feel like they would pan out this way. Like his love for her was a different, I guess, if you, even if you're a monster, still sort of a fatherly want her to just be innocent bird feeling. Sure. This is like the other, like if you took, if you took a man who was a monster inside, like the reverse of the other situation, like that's how this would kind of play out because he's, he's in love with his daughter, uh, ostensibly because she's the spitting image of her mother. So it's not good. However, it yeah, doesn't that matter that sense. that's the case, but that's, I think yeah. what happened and sure, why the yeah. queen was like, probably the, the new queen wasn't satisfied with the king's, begrudging love is because she also and her treatment of of charlotte is because this is going on and it's it's a clear thing i think to anyone that you know is if it's clear to griffith and he's just got there they've been there for 10 years dealing with this you know or longer so it's it's just giving a specific frame to this bad situation yeah i think it's really important to know what's going on with the queen. I think it really helps put a lot of this in context. You know, the fact that she was like in this loveless, in this loveless marriage with the king where she feels like she just can't really measure up to the previous queen, at least in his eyes. And so, you know, Charlotte sort of taking on this, this representation of, of uh, his dead wife in a lot of ways. It's just, I think it just it helps to know what's up with the queen with regards to all yeah, of this. Yeah, it, it's giving everyone um, specific motivations that that we don't get mm-hmm. the full picture of in in the other adaptations, and definitely not in the movie. This is not this doesn't exist there. The queen wasn't even there. Yes. So Charlotte kicks him in the face, and it he gets he gets the like, Adon treatment. I can't tell if he. Yes. So is that what happened? He's missing an eye now. Um, I don't know if he's missing an eye, but it's definitely like because it's like I, I couldn't tell if it was just like swollen shut or if it was like actually gone now, or if he's like his eye was out. Well, her heel went into his nose and eye. It did knock some teeth out. He's missing right. teeth and has ruined eye and a busted nose. So regardless, he's he got messed yeah. up. No. Yeah, that that eye, that left eye, is probably done for. In any case, um, yeah. I think re- there, there's nothing Let's else. See. We get the battle scene, uh, or the the ambush kind of scene of the band of the hawk. Uh, 
um, that plays right. out the same way as it did before. Um, in fact, it's a little less, mm-hmm. it's a little more ambiguous because we don't get the Casca taking charge um, scene in that bit anyway. Yeah, and this one but, sort of... Go ahead. <clears throat> I was going to say, this one sort of ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger. Yeah. Where you just see like half a dozen arrows heading for Casca and you're like, oh no, Casca. What's going to happen? Um... Yeah, and then we get all the stuff with Griffith being tortured, um, and yeah. also he's already way way way, way like, worse off in this than yeah. he was even in the animated one. He has like barbs or tubes or something jammed into him. And yeah, it's really really bad. And uh, also worth noting that he's pretty much just smirking the entire time, like the king is torturing him, and this little guy, the torturer, is is having a go at him too and the whole time he's just like he's he's smirking and he's just talking shit you know and the king is like very concerned about the fact that like it might get out that griffith had sex with his daughter so he he tells the guards it's like yeah uh if you tell anyone that uh griffith has sex with my daughter uh i'm gonna kill you and everyone you know so it's like you and your family will just be wiped out that's just a, a thing. Uh-huh. It's a, a very, uh, it's not even a veiled threat. That's an overt one that's um, strong. <laughs> yeah. Kind of seems like, uh, you know, the king probably would have tried to put a stop to uh, Griffith marrying Charlotte, regardless of what happened. Because he seems pretty... Yeah, it, it wouldn't have worked out. He, he Abhorred yeah, by the idea that yeah. any commoner would uh, have his daughter's hand. It, it wouldn't. It wasn't even allowed for, like, other nobles. That Griffith was calling him out on that in the first place. Yeah. Going, there's a reason, I think, why you haven't... Like, she's she's of marriageable age. She's 16. Um, she's an adult in this setting. And why have you not married her off for, like, political gains? Because that's just what happens. Like, why does she not at least even betrothed to another noble... Um, it's because you fancy her and you want to keep her for yourself. Mm-hmm. And of course that turns out to be true. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Mm, it's literally true. Yeah. It's literally true and it's uh, bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Griffith seemed like he was going to have to go through the king no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Like, if, if this didn't happen, he probably would have just like had the king assassinated or something like that. It, I think it would have played out a little differently if he hadn't lost his cool and um, just been lamenting over things lost that really weren't lost like guts would be back it'd just take a little while probably indeed but, uh, um, and so yeah the last little thing that happens here is the last thing that happens in the Battle for Doldre film which is that the torturer removes the behalit from around Griffith's neck which again little surprised that wasn't done sooner, but hey, takes it off, picks it up, it winks at him, and he drops it into the sewer, and presumably found by Vargas, question mark? We shall see. Yeah, we don't don't know because we don't get a Um, specific timeline of when this is going on. Yep. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Um... Was there uh, any stray thoughts you have about this run of the manga or just anything at all? 
I think we covered everything we wanted to. I, I don't have any. I've gone through all of the notes that I that I pulled up. Yep, pretty much same. Um, I will say, covering all this material like three times, I'm pretty ready to see what happens next. Yeah, I can. <laughs> I can. I, I can think imagine. Immediately after we're done recording this. Are you just gonna go watch the movie after we're done recording this? I th- yeah, I'm just gonna go watch the last movie because like I have to like, I just I have to know because it's like I've seen three different iterations of the same story now. Yes, well I will. So I'm just like I will yeah. say to to <laughs> gird your loins and steal your your poor heart at uh, what's gonna go down. <laughs> just my advance my advance warning. And then I gotta watch yeah. it again too, well, so it's not, any, it's not any better because I already know what's happening. Yeah, well, I'm sure it won't be pleasant, but I'm sure it'll be very compelling. And mm. uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. So, yeah, that's gonna do it for us for this episode of Wandering Swords. If you want to reach out to us on Twitter, you could find me, Nick, at Strenuous Orb. The podcast Twitter is berserk underscore pod. And where can people find you, Dave? Also on Twitter at sentinot underscore plus, And all of them will be linked in the notes to make that easier, just in case, because stuff has crazy spellings, as we like to do. Yes, indeed. And so, yeah, we will be back next time, wrapping up the Golden Age arc once and for all. Well, not once and for all, because we're still going to talk about the manga. But uh, we will be talking about the final film out of the 2012 trilogy that covers the Golden Age arc, as well as the last, what, like six episodes of the show, right? Uh, yeah, about that, yeah. We finished yeah. up through 19, yeah. Yeah, so very much looking forward to that, and I hope you will join us next time on Wandering Swords. Later, guys. We'll see you next time, and let the music of Jake Leinhardt uh, send us on our way. Bye-bye, folks. Yes. <laughs>